I hesitate to share this slide, but I just want to share how um, I've kind of gone through a process of the uh, in recent years coming to accept my role that I feel like God has asked me to do because I shared with Melanie and now I'm forgetting your name, Bart, um, yesterday that I didn't want to just be this random white lady that goes to Africa, gets inspired and starts a mission program. It's like sort of a cheesy program, cheesy idea and it could, you know, you can have stuff like that kind of go to your head and, and it can be about you. And what I realized after a while was that God has been preparing me for this since I was a little girl. And I just, one day, as I was freaking out before I was going to give a presentation, I felt like God said, you're always cutting and pasting images. Go find all the logos of all the things you've done in your life that have trained you and equipped you for this. So I just share this, um, not to build myself up, but to show God's path in my life. And, you know, 25 years ago, I went to a place called Heart. I want to share that with people. It's a place in Florida. If you're interested in, in doing international development work, it's a mock village out in a developing country setting where they teach basically all of Farms to Skills. And it's um, a fantastic Christian organization. I would love for some of our universities to actually even host students there. They're happy to do that. I did a video tour with people from Southern and Andrews, and they were very excited about it. So who knows? But more Adventists need to, I think, have more equipping for specifically tropical agriculture because it is a different environment. Um, I was a Mennonite for 25 years and served in the early 90s with Mennonite Central Committee as a health worker in Brazil. And just different things. Um, it was an AID farmer-to-farmer -farmer program that took me to Uganda in the first place, which was a blessing. And then our very own Creation Health. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I did mention that yesterday. Very, very powerful tool. And they have what I dream to have someday in the near future, which is an online training program. You don't have to leave your house. You can become a certified trainer. And they really want to equip church members with that materials. They have very nice materials that you can you know, stand up and do a presentation and feel very competent quite easily. Um, and then you know, just during gardening, and I did go to Hopkins. I did work for Health and Human Services, different things. I feel like somehow this slide pulled together for me, like, OK, God, you've got this. When you call, you equip, and you've already been working on me a long time. So I'm thankful for that. And just remembering that we're grounding ourselves always in the word of God in what we're doing. So the rainbow <laughs> of, you know, we were made in the garden. We know we had the plant-based diet given to us in Genesis 129. And we know that in the new heaven and the new earth, we're going to be eating again from the tree of life. And that 12 types of fruits and the leaves for the healing of the nation. We talked yesterday about folic acid and how it comes from the foliage of the leaves. And that's one of the primary nutrients that's lacking in our bodies is from those green leafy vegetables. Okay, so this sounds a bit random, and I might have to make some connections here, but why do white people get sunburns? When we go to Africa, I, I always joke, because I got all these wrinkles and sunburn and all this. Why does that happen to us? Exactly, the different melatonin in our skin. So that dark, beautiful African skin is designed to withstand the heat of that African sun. And it protects them. It gives them four times the protection against cancer and early aging. So we have two Bettys that work for us. They're both my same age exactly. And I always joke because they have like no wrinkles and I have plenty, especially it shows up in that video, which is ah, hard to watch. But, um, <laughs> but so then I say, you know, when they're eating white food, highly processed white food, 
they're basically making their internal organs white and weak and susceptible to cancers and early aging, just like my external organ is. So this picture is from Zimbabwe. Oftentimes, and sadly, it's even been nutritionists and health people that say, get rid of the microbes. You don't want to get sick. There's something you know, hiding in that potato. Granted, we do need to wash vegetables. But when we're peeling them, which is what they're doing here and turning out just to eat that, what do you think they do with the peels? But what happens when they throw them out if you're in a developing country? Exactly, the chickens, the whatever comes up and eats it. When they're taking the um, outer seed coat off of the seed of rice or any other um, whole grain, when they take the seed coat out, what do they do with it? Yeah, it becomes animal feed, okay? And so they don't have consumer education in these countries, and we're actually lacking it ourselves. So they give it to animals. Why? Why do they give it to animals? Thrive on it. I, I know because I worked for over 10 years hauling animal feed, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, so they take the most nutritious part. What, how would we fare if we took off our skin? <laughs> okay, it's the most nutritious, protective part of the seed where the most minerals and the most fiber are, and they peel it off. And so you see just in a potato here, the potato skin contains significant nutrients, five grams of fiber, 88% of the iron. Iron deficiency is huge huge in developing countries. It's one of the primary deficiencies. If you don't have iron, your blood is not properly oxygenating. And again, we've talked about the life is in the blood. That's in Leviticus. So we, we need that oxygenation for just clear thinking. We were talking about the frontal lobe and our ability to make choices. If we don't have iron, we're, we're just killing ourselves. Also, um, the skin from two potatoes has double the amount of seven, of seven nutrients and five times more calcium Sorry, five times more riboflavin, seven times calcium, and 17 times more iron than in the flesh. So when we're peeling off, that's what I really try to tell them. You're basically, and when you're buying highly processed um, grains, you're basically allowing that company to have another profit, you know, product, profitable product. And the thing that's really tragic is they make money off of healthy chickens and goats and whatever else. They don't make money off of healthy kids. That's why ultimately they're doing it. And we as consumers, and especially Africans, there's a lot of Africans bleaching their skin. And in Zimbabwe, when you buy the sudza, which is the corn, corn maize, it says white, white. Like they're advertising, the whiter the better. You know? Whereas we know that when maize came from the Americas, it was all different colors. But for some reason, when it went to Africa, it needed to be white. And to me, there's some like internalized racism going on in there. And if we can try to reverse that and make people feel good about being black, having black skin, eating the dark colored things, eating the indigenous African grains, I think we can make some progress there. So we always talk about the rainbow of color. And again, we're always doing train the trainer. This is from University of Illinois, actually, showing about soy flour, edamame. They don't know. You can eat it when it's green. They've been growing it there since the 40s. And they don't know you can eat it green. But then again, how many American farmers? How are they using it? So what they do is they wait till it's hard. Actually, there's a slide. It goes in a video. But um, they, they generally just sell it off as a cash crop, or they take the seeds and roast them into, like, soy nuts, and then the adults eat them, but you don't give that to a kid. You can't give it to a little kid. Yeah. 
So, and a lot of the little kids, they just lick off the salt <laughs> or they swallow it whole, which is pretty much going to be excreted for the most part. So, um, back to the indigenous grains, the millet, the sorghum, and the amaranth, great African traditional grains, really so much higher in so many different things. I'm not going to go into everything. But um, the funny thing is that amaranth, they actually, it's called dodo in Uganda. You can eat it as a green and it grows like a weed. It's everywhere. It actually is everywhere here too. It's called pigweed. Highly, highly, highly nutritious. There's a book I have. If somebody wants me to email it to them, you have to write me and say I want it. But it's called 21st Century Greens. It's a, uh, an organization called Leaves for Life. Puts it out and you can download it off their website. Um, really powerful about traditional greens that you can get. And when Revelations talks about the healing for the nations being in the leaves, they're not kidding. <laughs> this is still, we're still going to have some form of a body. And I, I don't think it's going to be that different. It's just going to be incorruptible. Um, so there's really great sources. But you can see the temptation if you had a, a big ear of corn and you harvest that compared to like these little, little tiny grains. I grew amaranth last year in my garden. Harvesting it, you know, you have a big old plant and you just get a little bit, but that little bit is very, very rich and very powerful. So we encourage people to go back to that. Again, the rainbow, just take note that legumes also come in all these different colors. I don't think that's a coincidence, do you? So God knew what he was doing when he said to eat that which was pleasing to the eye. We are naturally inclined to color, and the companies know that. So what do they do in our food? Artificial right, artificial colors. And I know because of running an organization, when I make a color copy, that's going to cost me a lot more than a black and white copy, right? But you go into a store, everything's bright, bright, bright color. They're spending a lot of money trying to trick you. And in, and in these developing countries, you know, there's Coca-Cola, and there's all this orange drinks and red drinks and all these horrible things, yeah. Out there in the middle of nowhere, you can still get junk food. And so we really encourage people to think about those colors and think about only going with God's colors because man's colors, basically, they're all toxic. Again, we talked about legumes a couple times, and I just want to um, defend the honor of soy. And I was so happy. I don't know if you were in there with Mark Anthony and Evelyn Kissinger. They defend the honor, defended the honor of soy. When we first started this project, it was called Soy Nutrition, actually, because that's what USAID originally asked me to do was work on soy. And I tried that for about six months, and I got so many eyebrows about soy and conversations about soy, I said, fine, I'm not talking about soy as much. But we use soy, and back when I was studying nutrition 25 years ago, being a vegetarian was actually very uh, suspect with the American Dietetics Association and others. Like I said, I wrote all my papers on being a vegetarian, but they weren't really sure if that was legit. Now they're actually encouraging a plant-based diet, and they, the Heart Association came out saying soy protein has been shown to be equal of proteins of animal origin, I would say superior. It can be your sole protein source if you choose. And then a little fun fact that's very important is that 80% or more of black Africans are actually lactose intolerant. So when they're pushing milk, 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 they're ignoring the elephant in the middle of the room is that they can't even absorb the carbohydrates in the milk. Yes? That's also true of China. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The darker your skin, basically, the more likely you are to be lactose intolerant.
70% of African Americans are also lactose intolerant. And, and well, yes, a lot of them don't know it, but a lot of them do. And as a trained dietitian here in the United States, we are we're told that you must find a way for them to drink milk. Mm -hmm. Give them lactate or something like that. But that's not the answer, folks. That's not a more abundant life because they're still not more, they're not comfortable with that. And being a, a member of what's called now AND, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, we, I would say, I would not say that we encourage yet a vegetarian diet, but we at least are willing to bring it under our umbrella because we do have a vegetarian uh, working group and uh, it's there, it's alive and well, and it's definitely spreading. It is the wave, it's the wave. Mm, exactly, and Sylvia, it's wonderful. God brought her into my life because um, she's more on the clinical side of dietetics and nutrition, whereas I'm more on the public health side. So we kind of complement each other in that regard. Um, so just to say briefly, when, when they are able to make soy milk in the villages, it is very exciting to them because they do have this idea that milk is kind of a prestigious thing. It's quite expensive. And they get very excited. And honestly, they, they're perfectly happy with the taste. There's not even one person I've interacted with that was like, mm, you know, I'm not sure about it. They're just excited to have milk. And as you know, I'm not gonna go into the details, but you know, this is just the protein and the fat. And of course, there's zero lactose, which is the problem for most Africans, zero cholesterol. And then when you look at the polyunsaturated fats compared to the saturated fats in milk, it's just night and day different. Anything polyunsaturated is gonna be way, way, way better for you. So the profile is just so superior. The other thing that I'm seeing there, because milk for some people may need to realize is high in sugar. That's one of the reasons we tell them they shouldn't use dairy products. You'll see that under carbohydrates, which will include your sugars, is significantly lower. Hmm. Interesting. So this, anybody want to imagine what this is? It's actually not, but Okara is right for what it came out of. <laughs> yeah, it's tofu. It's just curdled with lemon juice and salt. And um, this is what they call soy uh, cheese or soy scrambled eggs. And this is Betty, um, one of our trainers who Karen met. Uh, she's a graduate from Bugema University, which is our Adventist university. When I went over there with USAID, all I taught was soy milk and then using the akara into the porridge because I wanted to get it in the mouths of the children. So I came, uh, Betty came in. I met her my very last day, and she was one of the triggers that made me know God wanted me to start this team. And um, she said she knew how to make soy meats. And then it was after I was actually gone, she started making soy scrambled eggs. I didn't figure out what she was even talking about for quite some time. And then she started this soy mandazi thing, which is, um, it's kind of a little bit of a fried fritters. I'm not real into fried foods. But it sells like hotcakes in the market. So for our enterprise, we encourage it because if they're making the milk, they have the byproduct and it's mostly made of the byproduct okara. Very high in fiber, lots of minerals, lots of protein still left in that. And it is very tasty. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> they're really good. So anyway, this is my little cupboard, and I just wanted to show you, you know, uh, Country Life Natural Foods, it's another ASI ministry. You can buy 50-pound bags or 25-pound bags of any beans. God made these things to preserve. That's partly why we have to soak them before we use them. So you can get them in bulk. You can eat really healthy from different dried foods, seeds, and nuts. The other thing, we talk about, you know, just little things you can do with kids here. A lot of kids don't realize these days that carrots don't come in the little oval 
shapes. <laughs> they really don't even know they come out of the ground. Organic carrots are maybe like 10 cents a pound more than you know, regular carrots. You can peel them. I put them in salt water. That preserves the, um, the, nutri the, the nutrients because if there's not salt in the water, the nutrients will like leach out and make them soggy. So they'll stay really nice and crisp if you keep them in a container with salt water. Ah, I'm not a good measure, but maybe just like a teaspoon or in a container. Yeah, yeah. So like that's probably like a quart container. So yeah, and you know what? I'm not a real anti-anti-salt person. If you're eating a plant-based whole foods diet, you don't have to worry so much about salt. Like if you're eating a highly, highly processed diet, you know, you do excrete it unless you have blood pressure problems, you know. So um, and then I have something I'm kind of excited about. We have on our rack card, we have that it would cost $15 to help a family start a garden. And for the first time ever, I got my act together. I have this thing called a rainbow in a bag. So this is a bag of green bean seeds, um, butternut squash, and Bright Lights Swiss chard. I don't know if you've ever grown any of these, but I was making these available for like a $15 donation. You get the little garden in a bag for free. Shoot me an email and my card's there and I send you the planting guide and some other information like the, the uh, crop rotation guide we talked about yesterday, the seedling care guide, and then, and then you get to make a little donation and help a family start a garden. So that's something new we're rolling out today <laughs> and this weekend. Um, and all of these things, by the way, I know it's a bit late to start a garden, but these are perfect for what's called succession planting. So you can start them right after the last frost date, but you can plant them all the way up through August and still do okay depending on your latitude. So, and why are we doing this? I just wanna route us back to why are we doing this? Again, we talked about the stunting. I didn't bring my Russian dolls, but the stunting is where you have a child that maybe doesn't look malnourished, but it's much smaller than it's supposed to be for its age, much shorter. And, yeah, the picture here. Okay. This is a good, this one here. So when you're come, there's a line that's showing how tall they should be at that age, and you can see that all of them are below that line. Mm-hmm. So, and that occurred before they were, probably before they were two. Yeah, it occurs mostly in that first 1,000 days of life, from conception to two years, and that's when the nutrition is the most important. And if they don't get it, then sadly, stunting is the one form of malnutrition that's actually irreversible. So that's why prevention is absolutely the key. So we're, we're, you know, we do have malnourished children in North America, but in terms of stunting, it's just 2% compared to 34%. Again, just since today we advertise this as being our global church, um, I just want to say, again, we talked about these three divisions as well as this division here. Um, there, in, in just these three divisions here, we have 40% of our global church membership in those divisions. And um, we're excited. We're now in two of those divisions, but we're tiny, tiny. You know, we want to spread. And this is so exciting to us. Um, Sylvia and I were both at the ASI convention for the East Central Division back in February. And this was uh, Dr. Alexander Dimitri. He is the um, Health Ministries Director for the South Sudan Attached Territory. This was before we had launched our team in that territory. And um, 
He is a medical doctor and an MPH and high up in the health ministry for the country of South Sudan. This is what he had to say when he learned about farm stew, and it was a big encouragement and a big challenge because I don't know exactly how we're going to pull it off. But we, with God's help, all things are possible, right? I just want to share, he was so awesome. He kept saying, there's hope for Africa. There's hope for Africa. He was just so, he was neat. He's a very tall man, and he just, he was, he was so encouraged. <laughs> well, and I think what he said, and I, I really take to heart, is um, that it's about equipping the mothers and the parents. And that's something I just really have a burden for. And then, like I said, being a fairly new Adventist, I'm still really learning Ellen White's writings. And I didn't really realize that in Ministry of Healing, she actually has seven chapters focused on the family. So when we're out doing ministries and missions and everything, and it's ignoring the family structure, we're actually ignoring our counsel. And uh, like I said, so many, there are fragilent things, you know, like orphanages where the orphanages show up when the white person shows up, you know. And, and we just got to be really careful about those types of things. And even like... Um, the, the structure of the family. So often Africans, just by their nature, the tribal connections, they will adopt orphans into the family. And um, they, they will bring them in themselves, whether or not they have the capacity to care for them. And so by equipping the families, maybe it's a grandma and that whole you know, generation has died from AIDS or something, but equipping that grandmother to take care of her grandkids, that's something that I feel really passionate about really trying to work within that structure. And the other piece of family just to think about is um, this idea of uh, remittances. And we talked a bit about it yesterday <laughs> outside in the hallway, and that's what caused me to put this slide in. Um, anybody familiar with this term? So remittances are the amount of money that a, a migrant that leaves a poor country and goes to a wealthier country, sends back home to the poor country. And it's phenomenal what is going on in this world. In the, you know, 400, what was it? We looked at it yesterday. I think it was $550 billion a year is flowing through these migrant families. And you can imagine, um, I did some math on it. It's a, on average, immigrants to the United States are sending $3,000 a year back home. And, you know, most of them are not exactly in high paying jobs. We were talking about how sometimes, you know, immigrants here in this country, they're living, you know, eight of them in a two-bedroom apartment and, you know, just sending a lot of money back home. And so this is where the money is going from the United States, which is just kind of interesting. You see what continent, again, is being bypassed. It's really hard to get a visa to the United States. You basically have to win the lottery. It's called a lottery visa lottery to get here from the U.S., so again, our millions and millions and millions of African brothers and sisters in Christ, that means their children are our nieces and nephews, they're being left out of this well, maybe it's financial loop. Because I know lots of Africans and most of them are sending money home. No, they do. They do. But in terms of the numbers, this is the top 10 remittances. So I'm saying they are the ones, you know, we know they're doing it, but in terms of the, the sheer numbers, it doesn't even show up on the map. So I guess that's what I feel like. We hear about these baptisms over there. You know, we hear about all this evangelistic work. What are we doing to equip the people that have been discipled and baptized into the church so that they can have an abundant life? And that's what I get excited about. 
And one means by which I just like to propose us thinking about it as a church, this is a horrible slide because it's so tiny, but these are all the different um, divisions with all the different food companies. Okay, so for 2015 and 2014, all these different Adventist food companies made $16.6 million, and in 2014, $17.5 million. There was only one food company that was in Africa, and that was up in Egypt. So not a, no dime is being made in, by Af, Adventist African food businesses in any other country in Africa except Egypt. And there they only have 40 employees, so it's a pretty small business. One of my dreams, 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 is that we could be a catalyst for starting food companies in Africa that would be helping to finance the work. If we just got 5% of the profits, say, or maybe Newman's Own, a secular company that gives 100% of the profits to charities, you know? He's cranked out, I think, $60 million now to charity just in the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. So could we do something like that where we mobilized our workforce? Yes, sir. I think we should because Ellen White mentioned some of the about food, you know, low cost health foods for the poor, see? And some, some of the stuff here, they have too many uh, priorities. And of course, with my farm background, I see they, they want to make it an elite thing, and that doesn't help the poor a bit. Mm -hmm. Several things that aren't, they aren't following from Ellen White that would help to make it lower cost. Yeah. What you're doing is, is wonderful that way. That's fulfilling what she said should be done. Yeah, and you know, I didn't even know about the book Health Food Ministries. When I read that again, it was like I almost cried. And I'm just like, the Holy Spirit is so cool, you know, because there are people already doing this. I don't personally have the skill or talent to run a big, you know, food business, but I know there's people that do and could do this. Even our African brothers and sisters, we'd need some seed capital, we need some good business planning and whatnot. But you know, we're starting the businesses on the very small scale, but that's one of my hopes as we invest in these communities that we could raise up some bigger businesses like that. So um, I just want to take you to a class. This is one of the classes in the uh, South Sudan refugee areas. And um, oopsie, sorry. Yeah, we never know how to make to expect. Um, we do have a sign-in sheets, just like we do here, which I can pass around. I think most of you signed up already. But um, we have, uh, so we have sign-in sheets. We have them actually put their phone number if they have a phone. That's like the one modern thing that a lot of African people have. And then we have signatures and even thumbprints for illiterate people. And then all of that information goes into our database. So that's how I can confidently say exactly the number that have come to the classes. Um, and we never know how many to expect. And, will be at schools or mosques to prisons like we talked about those those types of things are a little bit more constrained but then when we're out in the village we'll get there and it's an eight and a half hour day just in the village so someone's getting firewood somebody's getting water somebody's out telling somebody somebody and i mean it's crazy <laughs> she will say you start there and there's like 12 people and within a half an hour there's 25 and a couple hours later there's 50 or 100. What we do, like for example, when we talk about this commitment to um, transforming a village for a thousand a year for three years, what we've decided at the start, like our numbers were growing, 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 and people were saying, well, so how do we know that's really making a difference? So right now we have like a three-day curriculum where we'll go back within a few 
weeks to a few months of each other. So we start with the hands-on cooking that just attracts people. They're fascinated, especially like the jackfruit and everything. Then the next time we come back, we'll do an intensive on vegetable gardening. And then the next time we come back, we're actually really reviewing everything we've done. And we have the community themselves bring their own food, prepare the food themselves. They host the feast. So it's pretty, pretty cool because it's very, very participatory and they own it. And then because Farm Stew is so broad, I mean, there's, there's not-for-profit organizations that are just drilling wells and there's other ones that are just doing this or whatever. So what we're trying to do is have all of our trainers certified in each and every letter. And like I said, we've only been going for like two and a half years, so we're still a work in progress. But we want to have them certified in each letter so they have a level of expertise. Again, trying to keep everything very simple. And then that they can train the local educators so that they're going out home to home. So we will come back again after the third class and again and again. But when we do that, we want to be responding to what the community has identified as their priorities within the realm of our eight letters. So like the water and sanitation, um, the building a latrine, you know, different things like that. Those, you know, we want to do once the community's decided they want them. Because there's a lot of that stuff that gets built and it's just neglected, you know. If they don't see the point, they're not going to use it. Especially guys. I mean, <laughs> men, you know. I mean, the, a lot of these communities, there's still open defecation. So you can't just go in and say, hey, I, you know, build this. Like, so we start with Leviticus. There's a verse in Leviticus that says dig a hole and bury it. You know, start there. And then move on up. And so the Cadillac is the ventilated improved pit latrine, which actually we're just switching the sanitation, so it's a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, feces and animal feces, so dangerous, you know. And, but unless you know that and you, you've really come at it with the premise of this. So here's a scriptural premise for our sanitation work. It's that each of you should not only look out to your own interests, but the interests of others. So we try, and it's also kind of a village, sort of communal more mentality more than our individualistic society. So you're not washing your hands for yourself to be clean. You're washing your hands because you're going to touch somebody. You're going to prepare somebody's food. You're going you're to impact somebody else. So it's something that you do for others in that way. And again, keeping it very simple, four critical times, after defecation, after contact with a child's feces, there was research done by another NGO in the area that only 1% of the mothers knew that children's feces could be contaminated. 1%. It's awful. I mean, those are the most vulnerable children, you know? Yes? Uh, I don't want to, I shouldn't be critical. I was just wondering, um, you know, I, I have agricultural training and a degree from Andrews. But yeah. I, uh, the one danger, you know, of organic is the animal species, and I worked for a feed company where they had the thing and provided stuff for it. So I know what comes from the farm angle in the U.S., how do they, uh, oh, prepare, you know, animal waste using the organic methods? How do you, you know, yeah. well, because uh, the sources of nitrogen and, and organic matter, you know, animal manure is one of the yeah. One of the things I really like about the agricultural method that we use that was developed in Zimbabwe, like I said, they don't, they're not dependent on animal manure. They actually have nitrogen fixing leguminous um, 
perennial bushes that they encourage. So, so that can be a nitrogen source. Yeah, exactly. But then, um, yeah, I mean, we do, composting is definitely key for whatever we do. Um, again, this is a tippy tap. I showed you that on my phone. And, and it's really important for like preserving the water. Again, like, you, like we said, it's from far away. You want to make sure every drop is effective. And, you know, the Bible talks about running water to wash the hands. There's really, really good science behind it. And then again, with the girls with the pads, how critical it is for them to stay in school. So Sylvia actually was there in February, and we interviewed 147 girls for an evaluation which I still have not gotten the data from, <laughs> from Afropeds where, where we were doing a survey on their behalf. Um, temperance we talked about a little bit, and we mentioned about the domestic violence going down. And I'm just going to cut that short a little bit, but it's, it's a powerful thing. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, I mean, they make their own alcohol like way out in the bush. I mean, I learned how to do it, and I'm like, it's just sad, you know. It's taking what God wants us to do, in terms of soaking the grains, and it just takes it to an extreme. And it's just like Satan, you know, you take something good and you just twist it to something bad, and it can lead to so much violence and so much loss. Um, with Enterprise, we talked a little bit. This is Florence. Um, this is she, and this is our trainer, Stephen. He was one of the original Adventists that I met. And uh, she has a soy milk business. Her husband's an elder in the church, and she's also making the mandazis and selling them in the market, being able to send her own kids to school. And Ellen White has uh, advice on the Proverbs 31 women that I appreciate. She says, women should be trained to some business whereby she may gain a livelihood if necessary. She should understand all those things which it is necessary that the mistress of a house should know whether her family are rich or poor. Then if reverses come, she is prepared for any emergency. She is, in a manner, independent of circumstances. So we know that she had a lot to say about women in the home and the domestic tasks of the home, and we absolutely 100% affirm that. But we also want people to know that, you know, a lot of times some of these husbands die in this culture. These Muslim men, like in the video, the guy that Robert was walking down the road with, he had four wives, 30 30 children, <laughs> not talking grandchildren, he had 30 children. So you know that these women, they have to provide for their own children. Um, and then teaching uh, value addition, you know, being able to make these products, and then also, uh, you know, some of these farming skills, this was in the refugee camp, and, you know, using just the resources that they have for um, container gardening here. And so we really do want to encourage people to, you know, teach their own children, get your own children or grandchildren out in the garden. There's just not enough of that type of exchange. I know it's hard because you're fighting the screen time. <laughs> and <clears throat> it's interesting in Uganda, I, I've never really seen kids with phones, um, but the Kenyan kids are a little bit more wealthy over there. And the, you can see they're having their phones and they're starting to have to fight that fight too. So... Um, you know, it's a good struggle for all of us to fight. Water, we mentioned, and, you know, really just talking about this whole idea that we're 70% water. And, you know, for your weight, like 160 pounds, I need eight cups of water, you know, um, or 150. But anyway, um, you know, and that we need that water and that you would never take a shower. They're really big into taking showers or, you know, what we would 
not call a shower, but pouring cups of water over their head periodically throughout the day because it's hot and sweaty and dusty and everything. And, you know, you say, would you take a shower with a cup of coffee or Coca-Cola or beer? Would you pour that on your head? You know, no, you're cleansing from the inside. And so you want to um, keep, keep that. And then for us, you know, taking a test every now and then about our urine color. That's just a very, very simple way of knowing where you're at in terms of hydration. And, you know, most urologists would go out of business if people drank enough water. Um, again, looking at the water of life, being Jesus and pointing them to the water of life. And, uh, you know, Greenpeace, I think it's interesting. You know, if our church is not faithful in terms of bringing this message to the globe, there's going to be other people take up the torch. And Greenpeace is on this very, very big campaign right now about less is more. They want a 50% reduction in meat and dairy consumption by 2050. And one of the reasons that they're pushing for it is saving the planet's water resources. And it's a really good point. Um, it says the amount of water used to produce the amount of meat and dairy for one person consumes in a year is equal to if we were to take 17 showers a day. So, I mean, it's a really, really a big issue. Um, you know, I think sometimes we do feel that our calling as a church is to be into prophecy and be into last day's work. And those are really important callings, and I don't want to take anything away from the preaching and the teaching and the literature evangelism. It's all so important, and it's not a, you know, or, or it's not instead of, it's an and. We have to remember Jesus' methods, and, you know, Ellen White has a wonderful quote about that, but just to go straight to the Bible, you know, he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. And that's what I want to ask people most of all is to really pray about their role in farm stew. There's actually people in this room that have already talked to me, like maybe the Lord is speaking to you about having a more significant role. And, you know, I don't know what exactly it's going to be for each and every one of us, but I do know, you know, this is our health message. This is our holy scriptures and inspired writings. It's not mine. It's not anybody who owns it. But this is a message that I think can be used to spread the gospel. And um, I just take this image, and I love it because, you know, a lot of people think a mustard seed, the faith of a mustard seed, it's going to grow into this tree, right? A big old tree. Well, that's not the mustard in this picture. The mustard in this picture is this crop. Mustard is a, a crop that actually stays low to the ground. Yes, it puts out branches that birds can, you know, rest in, but it actually um, stays low. It produces beauty everywhere it goes. And ultimately, the seeds that are produced by mustard seed, for example, canola is a form of the mustard plant. When it's crushed, it's, it's full of oil. And I guess that's what I hope is that as a movement of farm stew, we can stay close to the ground. We can bring beauty and something of value wherever we go, and that ultimately it will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the oil of the Holy Spirit will, will be something that's just a blessing to the world. And that's my hope and prayer with this work. So I want to call people to uh, mobilize for Farm Stew. If, if 
something about this message is resonating with you on a deep level, um, that's exciting because I, my hope and prayer is that we can be a volunteer movement here in the United States. For example, that's how Sylvia got inspired. I said, you know, I don't have any money, nor do I actually want to hire Americans. Because for one American, if I actually paid somebody like a real wage here, I could have an entire team of five people mobilized, reaching thousands and thousands of people there. So my hope is that I can find people that would be willing to get trained and equipped, just like we're training trainers over there, to be able to carry this message into your circle of influence. Um, also, I want to find people that you know love helping people but are tired of the type of helping that ultimately hurts. Um, I pointed uh, you guys to Ellen White has a book called Welfare Ministry. It's on any Ellen White app, and you can listen to it. Um, chapters 20 through 27, I think, are all about how you deal with the poor. But chapter 23 is called Helping the Poor Help Themselves. And in it, Ellen White says that um, we can help the poor in a way that harms them. And, you know, if you look at international development over the last 30 or 40 years, there has been a lot of progress. There's a lot of reduction in hunger and in extreme poverty. So there's things to celebrate. But there's also this whole dependency culture that's been created that's extremely harmful. And we see it in our own country, you know, working with the poor here, generational poverty, generational welfare dependency. And we got to break that cycle. The governments are not going to be able to continue to bail people out. Um, so we want to do things where families work together, children thrive, and God is honored in all we do. So one of the things that we are dreaming up is this idea of farm hands. And this would be volunteers who in this network are willing to educate themselves on farm stew, just like you guys have done by being here the last several days. Um, learn about what we're doing, learn about the scriptural and spirit of prophecy basis for what we're doing and um, be willing to share that with others, whether it's in a way that's directly trying to impact your neighborhood and you know, the poor that you've identified around you, or whether it's trying to raise awareness and raise funds to help support teams in Africa. Either way, it's gonna be a blessing and it can be used by our church as a way of reaching more people. And, um, so I just invite you guys, I'd love to hear even your thoughts and, and if you have ideas about what a farmhand could do in your community and if you have any additional things to share, I want to open the floor and actually have time for interaction. Okay, and so I will also wrap up now with prayer so then we can close out the recording and then it won't be poor quality. So um, yeah, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for um, calling each of us to a life of mission and purpose, and that's different for each and every one of us, Lord. But I thank you for those who have chosen to be in this room learning about this mission, Lord, and I pray that you can continue to equip and empower those that are involved, both in Africa and here. Help us, Lord, to discern your ways of reaching people and help us, Lord, to um, be good stewards of everything that you've given us. I thank you that we have the opportunity to serve you and to look forward to your soon coming where 
people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will bow down before you and praise your holy name. I pray this in your holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.